so go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 7. Uh, click on your apps, or if you need one, if you don't have either one of those, there's a Bible under a chair, as Sanj said, near you. Feel free to grab that, and uh, if you need a Bible, we would love for you to take that. That can be our gift to you. While you're doing that, um, I'm going to lead, lead us in prayer for this morning, and we'll get into our text. So God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you already just for a, a, just a rich time of, of just reflecting, of, of, of being driven down into the thought of who you are, God. Lord, that you are good, Lord, that you are glorious, that you are, you are sovereign, you are loving, you are worthy of our lives and of our praise. And Lord, that I love the confession that we were closing with, that there's no place that we'd rather be. We know, Lord, yeah, we mean that this morning, and I'm thankful that we have a place that is a refuge and that is safe and that we can come together and, and be cared for and care for one another and celebrate your name, but also to know the deepest truth there is there's no place that we'd rather be than in your presence. And as your word says, a moment in your presence is better than a thousand years elsewhere. And so, God, I pray that you would just... Just root that in our hearts. Lord, you would awaken it, stir it up. Let that be the reality that we live in so that our lives will reflect that truth. So, Lord, we give you this morning. Speak through me, inspire to me, whatever it takes. Let your work be complete and you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, lifted high. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, so, we, we're, man, we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. We're getting through it. We're blazing through it. It's been an amazing time for the past few months. We're coming in the home stretch. We've got, we've got three, I think, three Sundays left. Um, so just quick review to get us where we're at today. I, I, I try to review a little bit each week, but this is important that we kind of hit the, the, the kind of the stepping stones that Jesus has taught through this sermon uh, to us. And so first we see Jesus taught us who he is. We saw that in the Beatitudes, simultaneously in the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. We also see who we are in him. As we are restored and redeemed, given a new name, a new identity, then we see the power given to us in his truth, in his word, in the Holy Spirit. And then we see this charge to us, the church, the people of God, to live for his glory in this world. And then we were shown through a few different motifs, a few different pictures, what that looks like. Jesus in his teaching has shown us how to relate to others, how we just relate as his people. He showed us how to relate to God the Father as his child, as his redeemed one, as his called one, his set apart one. We were shown how to relate to each other as the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. And we were shown how to relate to the world, those who do not follow Christ. As he continued, as he, as, he put, as he continued through that, he showed us what pure ambition looks like and the importance of being motivated for his kingdom only, meaning what he desires, what exposes his character and his goodness and his rule in this world. We see that in the summary verse of Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's our holy ambition. That's what we're really motivated for. And we see that out of that, all the other things that we desire and seek flow from that. So as we come to today's text, as we come into verse 12 of chapter 7, we're transitioning into Jesus' his, his summary, his closing. He's bringing it all together. And so as we go through today's text, you'll recognize the verses possibly. You'll definitely recognize one of them, I think. We're not going to go into this granularity of, of application 
because we've been doing that for the last four months or five months, however long, since September, so six months, nine months. I have no idea. So someone count that up and let me know later. More than yesterday, that's what I know. So, but we're not going to go into this great granularity trying to, trying to apply every specific theme because this is a summation of all Jesus has been teaching up to this point. So you can go back and you can read through it yourself. You can listen through our sermons online. You can read other studies. Again, you can discuss it together even better as you do those things to go back through and, and freshen up on all the points of application and what it looks like. But Jesus is summarizing. He's bringing it all together. He's landing the plane. Last words are important. So let's make sure to tune in over the next few weeks to make sure that this roots in our hearts so that it brings the fruit in our lives. So let's pick up with that, ver- with that first verse for today, Matthew 7, 12. It says this. It says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Does anybody know that verse to be called something? The golden rule, right? Uh, it's, it's, even if you didn't go to a private school, it was often kind of in the classroom. It was just, it was, you hear it everywhere. It's, it's, it's not just exclusive to uh, Christian teaching in the scripture, even though we find its roots here. But yeah, that's the golden rule. And it's basically, hey, treat others the way you want to be treated. That's what, we're, that's what we start today. So this is Jesus' first summary statement as he's transitioning to his closing. This concept of the golden rule, it wasn't new at the time that Jesus spoke this. It wasn't revolutionary in itself. It was, it was familiar. It was common. In fact, it had been taught by many for a long time. One of the great Jewish rabbis of the time, Rabbi Hillel, he was challenged by a Gentile to summarize all of the laws in the short time that this Gentile could stand on one foot. If you know anything about the Jewish law, it's, it's expansive, expansive. And so Rabbi Hillel's response was this. The guy stands on his foot. He says, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Got it. That's, that's how it was taught up to this point, over and over again. All of, the, all of the wise teachers up to this time taught it like that. I don't know if you noticed the difference, but there was a difference. Jesus was the first to teach it in the positive. Rabbi Hillel and all those before said, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. Jesus said, whatever you want done to you, go and treat everyone else in that way. There's a difference. What is the difference? What difference does it make? To teach it in the negative, as had been done before Jesus, was just about not doing bad or wrong things. Not doing harm. Do no harm. You're only responsible for what you do. As Jesus taught it, we're responsible for not only what we do, which is sins of commission, maybe you've heard, but we're also responsible for what we don't do. Those sins of omission is just as grievous to, to not do what God commands you as to do against what he commands you. So Jesus is expanding it. He's again just flipping everything upside down as he's done over and over again in this countercultural teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. See, we, we often, it's subtle, but... Again, I think we exist in this way too. We, we think as long as we don't do anything bad, as long as, we, as long as we withhold bad, 
we're doing good. That's where this comparative religiosity comes from, comparative morality. As long as we're doing better than the next guy, better than our neighbor, better than, than Hiro in the front row. Sorry, guys in the back, he's doing better than you, right? So we, we, we kind of think that stuff. But Jesus is calling us beyond that. See, when you think about, again, if you look at the whole Sermon on the Mount, the charge to those who are in Christ, we have, it's not just a position of privilege of having eternal hope and our salvation and eternity secured. Yes, we get to enjoy that, but again, over and over again, we're pointed to a present mission, a present responsibility, and when, when, we, when we see that, all of a sudden, you can't compartmentalize. You, you realize that this is called to, that this is put on us, commanded of us, demanded of us, call, we are called to this. In all relationship, in all avenues and walks and areas of life. And you think about that and there are situations and people that are just difficult. The people that we have a hard time with that we would not want to extend kindness to, we would just keep from punching them in the face. Like that's what we would prefer. Like as long as I'm not punching them, I'm good. Like that's what we're called beyond that. Let me think about there's just difference of personality. Like we, we all naturally cluster into people, into PLU clusters, people like us. We naturally cluster like that. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's when that cluster becomes, becomes ironclad and exclusive that it becomes, it becomes dangerous, it becomes unhelpful, it becomes, becomes even sinful. But we see that personality is one of those things that where we don't extend goodness, we just, we just say no to badness. <laughs> Another area difficult both in, in life and in relationships is when we differ in convictions. We see that on the big picture of, of, of the redemptive story of all of creation, just in the big picture of is, is there only one God? Is he there's the one true God and he's the exclusive God of Jesus? And is Jesus' claims that, that he is the only salvation, one faith, one grace, one salvation in Christ? We can go to that big, or even when we say, okay, we, we agree in that, but we differ in some other convictions that are not as essential to belief and faith. We have a hard time extending goodness in those situations. And then just lifestyle, the way people live, the choices they make, it is amazing how something that doesn't affect us at all, just in observing, we get so vehemently opposed to. And we want, and instead of, again, ex extending good, we just avoid so he's calling us beyond all that. And we do all that out of self-preservation and self, self, you know, just kind of self-protection and safety and security. And it's funny because Jesus understands our propensity for self-preservation. That's why the golden rule is here. Do what you want done to you, do to others. But it's funny how that very just little concept just blows that tendency out of water and makes it to where, okay, self-preservation actually leads you to live on behalf of someone else. And if you notice, there's no conditional clause here. There isn't. This teaching is always in effect. It is not, in this situation, extend good, but in this situation, you're excused. It says, whatever you prefer to happen to you, treat others that way. Just boom, blanket statement, summary of all things. And in case you want to, in case to think about the force in which Jesus is, is teaching this, what's that statement that follows right at the end? He says, for this is the law and the prophets. So he stamps the authority of God's truth on it. This isn't just some quip that he spoke to have connectedness with common culture and vernacular at the time and just flipped it just a little bit to make a point later. He's saying, hey, do this in light of everything that I've taught and you are upholding all the commands that I've given. It all flows out of that. So it comes with force. So it's not new. 
but it's definitely different. We don't have the luxury of engaging this understanding and teaching when it's convenient. When it lines up with our preference, with our schedule, with our convenience, with our comfort zones. This is an expression of the very new identity you were given in Christ. And that new identity reflects, again, the, good, the character of our good and sovereign king. So it's not an option. And we can't miss that this teaching has its roots in, in what Jesus identifies as the two greatest commandments later in this same writing from Matthew. We see it in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. This is probably a little familiar too for a lot of you. It says, you shall this is Jesus' response when asked what the greatest commandment was of all that is given. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You can't ignore, again, the stamp, the anchoring root of authority that Jesus places on this. So here's what we see here. In Christ, when we've surrendered, we've also, we've also come in alignment with the, the heart and priority of God. We take on the interest, we see in this that we take on the interest of those we love and are closest to. And to illustrate, I want to talk about my sister for a moment. My sister is three and a half years older than me. All our lives growing up, she, was, she never cared about any sports team. I was a huge Braves fan before the Braves were good. Like 5,000 people going to a game back in 1989. Like that was me. I was at the game. I was a huge brave. She never cared about a team. She never wore any sports, sports teams. She never played any competitive sports. She, I think she cheered a couple years. It wasn't really competitive back then. I would say it's a competitive sport these days, just to be safe. And I mean it. Um, I hate when I go down that road. Um, but she was just never competitive. She never cared about sports. And, and just to give you a little context, we were an SEC family. I'm from Georgia, Southeastern Conference, Georgia Bulldog fan. I mean... I, truly, my stepdad, the first day I met him, he was listening to a replay of the 1980 Sugar Bowl, like barking like a mad dog, chewing on a steering wheel. And this was 1985. I'm not kidding. So like, and that, this, that was part of us. My mom, South Carolina Gamecock fan. So you're, you're in one of those two camps. We are an SEC team. Sister never cared. She gets married. And to our surprise, a few years later, all of a sudden she comes out wearing sports team shirts. And that's interesting in itself, but then she went Georgia Tech, and like that's like for here it's A and M, UT, whatever side you're on. Just apply it to yourself. I don't want to get that the, the whoops and the whatever else is out here right now, but is it whoops? That sounds like an accident. I got it out on accident. Sweet. But it's basically that same atrocity. Like, what are you doing of all teams? Like, if you're going to become, become a sports fanatic, because it wasn't just wearing the team shirts, she was also brainwashing her kids. Like she was, and like against, not just to be a tech fan, but to be against us. Like it was like, they, I mean, it was, it was, I won't go through all that. But you get the point. But well, how did that happen? She took, her, her husband is one of the most irrational Georgia Tech fans I've ever met. Like it just doesn't make sense. He didn't go there, never once. He went to, Alabama, he went to an SEC school. He went to Alabama, but he is just this irrational Georgia Tech fan and, and stubborn in it. And somehow he brought her over to his side. And it's because you start to care about the things that those you love care about. You start to take on the interest of the things that those you love and love you 
have interest in. So Jesus is saying, as he's pointing, as he's calling us to this golden rule, and as he's even pointing to the greatest commandments, that in loving our good God, we must love his people. We must love his creation. We must care about them as he cares about them. We cannot ever turn it off. So the question that I'm just hit with as I, as I pray and I think through my days and my relationships and the places that I spend time is who is someone or something in my life, in your life, that we know we have not treated the way we would want to be treated if in their position, place, situation, faith. Get someone in your mind. Just take a second. Process that. How can you show them that kindness, that goodness this week? If you take notes, write it down. Call yourself to action. Is it to ask for forgiveness? Is it to give forgiveness? Is it to help with a felt need? Whether it be a neighbor, a loved one, a homeless person that you pass every, every day on your corner that's just been on your heart and you cannot quit thinking about? Is there some other relationship of need you know about? And again, don't let this be guilt. Let the Lord lead, but listen. Realize this is the posture in which we're called to live. And if you've been withholding goodness, take a step. Offer the goodness. Don't just withhold bad. Don't just withhold evil. But extend and offer goodness. Walk in that goodness. This also applies to the body of Christ, to the church, the family of God. Remember, we are a people. We belong one to another. In what ways are we able to treat others in the way that we would want to be treated in our community? And I would say, foundationally, first two things, pray for and with one another. And man, I'll tell you, the prayer that comes out of relationship, the prayer out of knowing and being known is an even more powerful prayer. God, the power of our prayer is in God's, God's power in his hand. But yet our experience and participation in, talk about, you know, we can all pray for each other. Lord, I pray for Janelle. I pray she has a good week. I pray that her car doesn't break down this week. <laughs> if you know Janelle, you know why we're laughing. Hopefully she got a new one. She got a new one. Hopefully we don't do that. But again, like the more, the more you know someone, the more you can participate and come in and be an advocate on behalf of. I mean, prayer is spiritual activism, right? So pray for and pray with. Share with each other what you are learning as you walk with Christ, as you walk with the Lord in his word and in fellowship. Man, let it permeate your conversation. Again, we don't want that fake thing where we're like so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. But if it's real, it comes out, right? So just share. Don't, don't, don't worry about, oh, gosh, am I being too spiritual? Man, if it matters to you, share it. Like, that's a great way of, of extending goodness. And then, again, practically tell each other, tell each other, again, you, uh, just all that stuff that you care and that you're there. But then be there. Help each other. We've got new babies. Libby's coordinating meal calendars. Get on the calendar. Go help make meals for new families. New babies, it's a lot. Go cut their grass, fold their clothes. It's that simple. Car troubles. It's been really fun to see people come around you and help you with your car. 
Rides to airports. I see so many posts about rides to airports. Like we've got, we've got some champions like Haley and Neil, Caleb and Rebecca. Like some people that just always step in there. Justin Fountain, but he moved to Cuba, so now he just needs rides. He can't give them. So he helps us grow in that. Again, extend good. Not out of guilt or compulsion, but out of knowing and being known and caring. There's one more way in which we must look at this charge, but, but we're going to save that. We're going to say that after we kind of get, get through our next couple of verses. So there's one more word of exhortation, though, and I would say this. As we, as, we recognize, as we recognize needs and opportunities for good, don't outsource your good. Don't outsource it. Don't, don't always have this default of kicking it to someone else. Or if someone needs a word of encouragement, go and finding that blog and sending them that blog that they can read. That's helpful. But they need you. We need each other. So, man, do all that stuff. But do it with. Be a part with. You have a neighbor in need. Go to that neighbor. And man, I'll tell you what, the beauty of the body of Christ, John 13, 35, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And seeing the way that we love one another and love the world, they will be, ex- they will be exposed to the reality of a good, loving God. And so go and love your neighbor and bring someone from the church along. If you see a need out here on the curb, if you serve in an organization that is, again, meeting those needs of hurt and, 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 and combating bad with, with evil with good, and light. Go do it. Invite someone else along. You be a part. Bring someone else along. That is how we are going to participate as a people. Don't wait for someone else. You're that person. You have that influence. You have that exposure for a reason. So extend good. Be the point of the spear of good, if that's good, and bring someone else with you. Great, great opportunity. It's exciting. It's an adventure. It's terrifying. Just step into the risk and, again, have someone with you. It comforts you in that risk. We have an entire world in need. We have an opportunity. There's, it's all around. So pray that your eyes and your heart would be open. Pray that God's goodness, as we, as we pursue him and his kingdom, that it would just compel us and move us in great joy and urgency. So Jesus has made it abundantly clear and simple. We all, we all get self-preservation, as I said. We get the terms. We understand the concept. And now he's made it inescapable that this is a way of life to consume all that we are and do. So as Jesus continues, this, this kind of comes across as a disjointed thought, but it's not. And we'll wrap up with showing how it's not. But he continues in his sermon summary, beginning in verse 13 and 14, these first of three motifs that kind of, we could be describe them as two ways. There's two ways to be, two ways to live motifs. This is the first of three as he wraps up. So let's continue our text, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, 13 and 14. It says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So here we see there are two gates and two paths, two gates and two ways of travel. One is wide, one is narrow. Some notes for clarity. Again, we're not going to go into all of the different ways that we could apply because, again, we've been working up to this all this time, but we are going to clarify some things. The road and the gate that are narrow, they're, not, they're, they're, they're narrow, but they're not narrow like a funnel that is restrictive. 
to where there are there is a, there is a volume that wants to get through but cannot because there's just not enough space. So it's narrow, but it's not restrictive. So what is it? It's not that there will be some who want to enter but do not get to because the path or the gate are not wide enough. When we see in verse 14, it says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That word hard in the Greek is this word teth lamine. And every time you see it used in Scripture, it is used to describe struggle and persecution and oppression. The other words are crushed, oppressed. So the truest sense of this statement is speaking of to the, the, the way of the road and the way of the gate. It's not that it's too narrow for some to fit, but it is difficult so that many will not choose. you will choose this path and gate because they will face persecution and opposition. They will be caused to lay down their lives. I was talking with a friend the other day, and we're, we're, he's not a Christ follower, and I asked him if he ever felt, ever came to a place of, of, of seeing and believing that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he says he is. We are who we say we are. We are in need, and that Jesus is the hope of every need. Would you believe And skipping a bunch of details, he said, you know, I, I just don't see, he, he said, I feel like if I came to that point, it would be me just getting there because I have nothing else to lose. And I just can't see myself making that decision to surrender because there's nothing else to lose. And I was like, well, there, you, you would have everything to lose. It, w- it would cost you everything. It's a laying down of life. There are things in his life and his relationships that would cause great friction and upheaval if he were to make that proclamation and confession. So the, you know, as Bonhoeffer says, the call to Christ is the call to come, and, to come and die. So it's costly. And that's what Jesus is saying here, saying it's costly. It will cost you your life. It will cost you the things that you thought you were about, the things you thought you were created for. You will have to lay those down and surrender. Now we know on this side, there's a, there's a greater joy greater fulfillment, a greater satisfaction in the life that is in Christ. But yet it is costly. So what would make someone choose such a path if the other one is so much easier? The value is in the reward. The value is in the destination. I used to lead hiking trips back in the day, and there was was one that I used to lead with high schoolers in this area in West Georgia called Pine Mountain Trail. And most of these kids were novice hikers, and, and so to, to hike 23 miles was pretty daunting for them. And to do it on semi, semi you know, kind of, you know, increased elevations, it's difficult to do it with 40 to 50 pounds on your back. It's difficult. So the, these kids would start struggling and, and complaining, you know, kind of near the middle of the second morning. That's when I would start telling them about this amazing, huge, spring-fed pool that was at the end of the trail. And it was, I mean, I'm, I'm there right now. Hot summer Georgia day, 50 pounds on your back, sweating, stinky. You haven't showered for a few days. You think about this beautiful, crystal clear, spring-fed, perfect temperature pool. I would start talking about it. I would just put it out there. And they would just, you could tell they were there. Like their eyes would glaze over and they're just thinking about the pool. 
the pool at the end of the trail motivated them. The, the, the promise of just refreshment and even kind of, even kind of cleansing in the pool, you know, even with ninth grade boys that don't like to shower that much, a few days out there without a shower, stinking with each other in tents will make you want to shower. All of the promise of the pool pushed them in their desire to persevere. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the, with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the promise, our great reward, our eternal hope, is our motivation for taking the narrow road and the narrow gate. If you want to grow in this conviction and resolve, it always comes back to Matthew 6.33 that we've already quoted. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek the person of God. Seek to know his goodness. And knowing his goodness, you, the more that that is a reality to you and you awaken to that, the more you will be motivated intrinsically, intuitively, as part of who you are. So pursue the person of God and his goodness. We said that this is the two ways motif. I've already pointed out two, the two gates and the two paths. And we have to see that on that there's two crowds and two destinations. Two gates, two paths, two crowds, two destinations. We must all see life and people this way. Again, so we're on the path that leads, to, that leads to restoration and fullness of life, a path that doesn't lead to destruction. Again, again, let me say, we cannot let that be just a place of comfort that becomes a place of prestige and, and just, again, being thankful that we're there but not caring about anyone else. We must see the other path. We must see the other people. They're leading to destruction. Again, our hearts, our desires, our affections are changed to match up with those we are loved by and those we love. God the Father is our richest and deepest relationship. So, there are two people. And we don't like saying it this way because it sounds like an us and them to say there are those who are in Christ and those who aren't, but that's the reality. It's not exclusive. It is inclusive. It is the, the grace of God is sufficient for all those who call on Christ. And all who call on Christ will be saved. That's why we can say it's not a limiting, narrow gate. So we understand that there are two people, but it is not exclusive. We are to live inviting lives, calling people in as the sent ones. And our two destinations, one leads to life, one leads to destruction, and that is for eternity. So we must live with urgency, with purpose, with passion, with selflessness. So let's come back to the golden rule to wrap up in verse 12. It says, now that, so I was just thinking about this. Now that we understand this call to urgency, let's think about what it is to do for others that that you wish to be done to you. Bringing it all together now. If you are a Christ follower, you've recognized the futility of temporal pursuits and the things that, that satisfy, and you've surrendered the things that we think satisfy in this world, and you've surrendered your life. You've surrendered your way to Christ and found your eternal hope and present purpose in Him. If that's you, 
We understand that there are those who haven't. So we have to. And thinking about if we were in their place, what would we want? How can we, how, how should we be motivated? We go back and forth on what is good and we struggle for clarity. And how can, how can we know what to pursue and prioritize in this life? How do we know when to step in in boldness and to proclaim? You know, and I think that's, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. He leads us. He empowers us. He compels us. I think we're called again more to the posture and the reality of our understanding of the work that has been done in us. Again, work back through this whole sermon. Start in the Beatitudes where it says we're called to be humble and know our great need for grace in Christ. That begins everything. But this reminds me of a pen from Penn & Teller. Everybody know who that is? He's a magician. They're kind of uh, satirical in a way. They're, 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 they're great. But anyway, he, he, a while back he was doing these video blogs, and he's talking about this night after one of his shows, this man walks up to him with a Gideon's Bible and gives him the Bible. He's like, hey, this man, and, and, and Penn is an atheist, or atheist agnostic, one of those two, doesn't believe and very open about it. But this man came up and very humbly and respectfully says, I want to give this to you. And he starts sharing his faith with him. And, and Penn's like, he was, trying, he was trying to proselytize me. He says, and over and over again throughout this, he just kept saying, like he would pause and he would say, that man was a good man. And he knew the man was sincere and he kind of pointed that out. And, and, and to get to my point of where we're going through, he didn't say, so I believe what he believes. But this is what he said that, that hits me. He said, you know, that man was sincere in his belief. He believed that I needed Jesus. He believed that I needed the hope that he had so that I could know peace. And he said, I'm glad he told me. And he said, how much would you have to hate someone if you believe that and you didn't tell them? Penn said that. That was like, oh, but it's the truth. Like again, and again, not a call to guilt, but a call to the reality of the opportunity that we have in Christ in this world to hold out the light of truth, to proclaim the greatness of our God and the hope in Jesus. There is no greater hope than the hope in Jesus. Everyone faces struggle in this life. Everyone has insecurities. Jesus is the hope for every one of those needs. So with our lives, we show and we point to that reality. And with our mouths, as the Lord leads and gives us opportunity, we proclaim it. So... I'm, I'm, I think we're just going to close it. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. I've got like three more points. But the golden rule, understanding that, that, again, we're called to do for others what we would want to be done to ourselves, and we have been given grace in Christ, called to life in Him, raised from death to life, given a new name, a new hope, a new destination. We need to call people in. There are two, there are two roads. There's two people. There's two destinations. With urgency, call people in. We know that we are called to be a church that makes disciples. Jesus left us with that in Matthew 28. We want to be a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that makes disciples. This must start with the proclamation of hope in Christ. This must start with meeting the needs right around you. And then it must continue to walking alongside each other and teaching all that we have been taught and sending each other out. That's the picture. So let me pray for us. We're going to continue in a time of communion after that. God, we love you. Let us be in awe of your love for us. Lord, in your love, you are moved to compassion. 
Lord, to, to work on behalf of the very people that rebelled against you, the very people that through the, the true, intimate, unified relationship that you created us in, in your face. We said, we know better. We, we think we can offer better for ourselves. Lord, that you didn't write us off. You didn't say, be done with you. Lord, immediately, you set a course of action to bring redemption in Christ to this world, to us. And Lord, that in Christ, thank you so much that we have, we have an eternal hope. We have a security, a bedrock that cannot be shaken. And Lord, I pray that we would revel in that every day, living gratefully, being in awe, never minimizing that. As David prayed, just praying often to restore unto us the joy of our salvation. But Lord, at the same time, we will be moved to great purpose with great passion. Joining in with your mission as Jesus came into this world to seek and save the lost. Lord, that we would come alongside in that life, in that purpose. Holding out the truth of Jesus. The light of Christ. And letting you call people in through our lives. God, we recognize that it is not our hands that do any good work, but our hands and our lives that you use for your glory. So Lord, here they are. Let us have a posture of surrender right now. Once again, just letting our lives be a blank check for your glory and your purpose. Lord, stir us. Let us see where we have withheld good. Let us not live lives compelled by guilt, but by love and adoration. We thank you for Jesus. He is our hope. He's our life. So be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.